0: Good morning. Over the last uh, several weeks, Pastor Victor has been leading us through 1 uh, Corinthians. Um, and, uh, and over the last couple chapters of 1 Corinthians in particular, we have been circling this theme. Uh, we've been um, looking at uh, how, how as believers, how God's people are to steward Um, not just our our, our freedoms and our privileges, but also our blessings. And that when the stewardship of those things conflicts with the imperative to love, whether it's to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, or whether it's to love the Lord himself, when the expression of our freedoms and the enjoyment of our blessings contradicts the imperative to love, then, then we've missed it. And, um, and Paul warns in 1 Corinthians that that is the pathway to idolatry. And so uh, PV has been, uh, I think uh, last week he, he, he's uh, led us through the first half of 1 Corinthians 10. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're not going to continue in 1 Corinthians. What I want to do is, um, uh, Pastor Victor asked, asked me not to continue, so that's why I'm not doing it, because uh, 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 I, think, I think he feels like he's, he's just on a roll. You know. So uh, PV's going to finish chapter 10 next week, but what I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do like a topical study that brought us away from those themes and those ideas, and then we'd have to take time to kind of reorient ourselves back to the theme of 1 Corinthians. So what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're going to uh, look at Scripture for an example. Um, it's an example that's probably familiar to most, if not all of us, of the very things that Paul is warning the Corinthian church and us about. Um, and so I want to come alongside what Pastor Victor has already been teaching us in First Corinthians, both to reinforce the points that he's been making, um, and, uh, and and like I said, uh, just to keep us in that mindset, keep us in that mindset of prayerful awareness of what are what are the things that threaten to replace Jesus. Uh, or just that, that, that threaten to, to, to draw our hearts away from him, um, are they our so-called rights? Are they our so-called freedoms? Um, so we're going to retread some ground in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament um, to look at an example. So, I've, I forgot to say this. Um, <laughs> for everyone who came to the men's conference over the weekend, thank you guys for coming for those of you who, who didn't come, I'm, I'm just gonna say, um, you haven't lived until you've sat front row at a Calvary Restore Men's Cornhole Tournament, and um, felt <laughs> yeah. If you know, you know. Um, uh, it was it was a great time, and uh, and uh, was, you know the intensity was there. It was a good release, I think, for a lot of us. But uh, that was a blessed time, and. Um, Uh, I I think it does bear mentioning that the one who planned the activity is also the one who won the activity, so, you know, do with that whatever you want, but I'm going to be praying about that as we go to next year. All right, so I do want to, back to refocus, right? Okay, um, I I want to reread a few verses from 1 Corinthians 10. I know, like I said, PV read these. Last week, and brought us through them, and I want these verses to kind of set the stage for, for it's kind of like, like, like a, a condensed character study that we're going to do, uh, and so I'll go ahead and tell you that we're going to be looking at the life uh, and the failures, the fall of King Solomon, all right? And we're going to compare what Scripture says about the process that led to his fall, and what we see here in 1 Corinthians. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to just reread verses 6 through 12, uh, re emphasize a few things, and then we're going to go uh, to the Old Testament. Starting in verse 6, it says, Now these things became our examples, and Paul is talking about the, um, the recorded history of Israel. When we look at the Old Testament, it's not just a historical book, it has historical value but we miss out on so much if all we think of of the Old Testament is just history. Paul says here, there's a reason why God preserves that, why God preserves it for us to read is so that we can learn from the examples of the people of God who have come before. And so he says, these things became our examples. He's talking about the Israelite struggles through the wilderness. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And if you weren't here last week, um, you know, again, PV broke this down at length. He took us back to, uh, to these accounts in the Old Testament. Um, so we're not going to retread that ground. Um, verse 7, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So first, Paul says, don't, don't give in to idolatry, uh, nor let us commit sexual immorality. Don't give in to sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ. He says, now, don't, don't try the patience of God. Don't tempt Jesus. Don't try his long-suffering, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain. Don't take God's good gifts and blessings for granted and begin to complain about the things you don't have, right? Um, and some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, Paul says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. It's important that Paul points that out twice. He says they are, they're written for, for us to look to as an example. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And I want to land on that statement But the one who thinks they stand, be careful lest you fall. The uh, the implication of that warning, um, I guess the warning is in itself that those who fall away, and not just fall away and descend, Paul's not talking about, you know, you you made a mistake or you just tripped and, you know, you're going to get back on your feet and repent. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those whose hearts have fallen away from the pursuit of Jesus, whose affections and worship have been drawn to idolatry is what he's talking about, yes? Um, And so the warning, be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. Again, the warning is that those who fall away like that um, often don't see it coming, it's not the kind of thing that you see coming and you're like, well, I can feel I'm falling away now. I guess I should do something about that, right? If it was like that, if we could see it coming, then maybe the warning wouldn't be necessary. Um, and so the implication of the warning is that sin and compromise and especially idolatry very rarely present themselves as such to us when, when they begin to grow, when they begin to fester we very rarely are able to pinpoint it and say, oh, I see this is growing right away. Why? Because usually those things that become idolatry, they start off as something good. They start off as, as a freedom or as a right, like Paul's talking about here. You know, you have the freedom to eat whatever or to drink whatever or to celebrate whenever, um, and those are good things. God's given us those things Um, He he addresses sexual immorality. You know, sex is a good thing that God's given us, and it becomes idolatry very easily when it creeps up and and replaces Jesus, right? So a lot of the things that become idols in our lives, they start as rights, privileges, freedoms, and sometimes even blessings. This is what makes it difficult and challenging and tricky sometimes even the things that God himself has given us, the things that we would call blessings from God, um, if we're not careful, those things can rise up, they can well up, and they can become idols in and of themselves. And that's why it's so easy for us to think ourselves safe. That's why Paul writes this morning. It's so easy for us to think ourselves, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not tempted by idolatry. I'm not tempted to worship what the world worships. I've got the things that God's given me. I've got these good freedoms and blessings, uh, and so I'm safe from that. But if that was always the case, then Paul wouldn't have felt compelled to write that warning to begin with. Um, Idols are usually the permissible things that little by little begin to influence our decision making, cause us to compromise. And the more we do that, the, the, the more we compromise a little bit here, a little bit here, the more numb we become to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says our, 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 our conscience becomes seared as with an iron. Um, so it's got that tough exterior, and we can no, no longer receive that still small voice that God says he speaks through to us. And so the warning of 1 Corinthians is that it can and it often does happen to anyone to fall away and, and listen, you know, you guys don't need me to be up here giving you examples. I can guarantee you almost every single person in this room can think of someone who, like the Israelites in the wilderness, started well with God or had, had a, a profound, impactful experience with God and started on the path of, of worshiping him and, and, and pursuing him, and, and because of one reason or another, have fallen away. And not just, like I said, not just fallen away for a moment or for a season, but have fallen completely away, um, right? And so I think most of us, can, our thoughts would immediately drift towards a person in our lives who we would think about. Um, and so it can happen to any one of us. The enemy very readily and very easily can take something that God has given us as a blessing, uh, pervert its purpose, corrupt its nature, and twist what was once a blessing into a curse. How does that happen? When when the blessings of God, when we approach the blessings of God um, with the attitude of how can I, how, how can this thing bring me pleasure? How can this thing... Um, Be used for for, for, uh, to satisfy my desires. When it becomes that, instead of how can I use this blessing to bring glory to Jesus, then idolatry is not far behind. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when when a blessing of God, uh, uh, when we become so attached to it that it becomes more about our desires and the fulfillment of our desires. Over and above the glory of Jesus, then that blessing has become a curse, and idolatry is not far behind. So that's what we're going to look at. And um, you know, I landed on on Solomon. You know, if you were if you were here a couple weeks ago for uh, for VBS, you would know that our 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 whole theme was like castles and. And kingdoms and things. And so maybe that's why, because of a recent VBS theme, my, my thoughts kind of landed on Solomon. If you were in our, our teaching time, you know that this is going to be a, kind of like a, like a retread. You've, you've heard this, okay? Um, but it did remind me, man, if, if, if there's anyone in Scripture that, that, that those warnings in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, hey, be careful that, that, uh, that you don't fall into idolatry, don't commit sexual immorality, don't test God's patience, you know, all these things. I'm like, man, he's describing Solomon. And so that's why I felt, um, I felt compelled to, 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 to bring us here. Um, if anyone, if ever there was an example of a follower of God who started well, he had every blessing, every opportunity, every privilege, every advantage, uh, and as we're going to see, truly sought the Lord with all his heart at one point only to fall into sin and temptation and have his heart drawn away from God. That's what Scripture says. His heart was drawn away from God. If ever there is an example of that, it's Solomon. Um, So Solomon's attachment to his kingly rights, uh, we need to be reminded, it didn't just affect him, it affected the whole nation. And so I say that because remember, Paul's whole point in 1 Corinthians 10 is, don't let your freedoms, don't let your rights, don't let your blessings become a stumbling block to your brothers and sisters. And Solomon didn't just stumble a few brothers and sisters, he stumbled a whole kingdom, right? Because he clung too tightly to these things that he felt he had a right to. So, as we reread his tragic story, the challenge before us, um, and, I, and I pray you would take this challenge because I've Felt the, the compelling to take it upon myself. Uh, Lord, give us the discernment to, 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 to see those things, to take the warning you've given us and see those things um, that threaten to become idols in our lives or that threaten to uh, overcome, again, that imperative to love our neighbors more than our freedoms. I want to start in 2 Samuel chapter 12, This is Solomon's origins, So, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, all right? Then David comforted Bathsheba. You guys remember the story of David and Bathsheba. We're not going to retread all that. If you don't know it, then you can talk to me afterward. Uh, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord, because the Lord loved him. And that might not seem like a a significant verse um, because we hear that so much, right? Uh, We we hear all the time that the Lord loves us. And and, and as as life-changing and profound a truth as that is, when you hear it often enough, you begin to take it for granted, right? Anything that's good and exciting, um, and, 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 and you hear it over and over again, or you're exposed to it over and over again, it begins to lose its power. Um, you know, <laughs> PB likes to, likes to call me out from stage a lot because of my, my, my fandoms, okay? And I hope this is a judgment-free zone. If you don't know this about me, you know that uh, I've grown up, this um, loving superheroes. Uh, my younger brother and I, we were up every Saturday morning at 11. Like you, like we didn't need an alarm to get us up. We would get up because our shows were on. Uh, we, were, we were there through the Batman cartoon, the X-Men cartoon. And this, is like, this was this a sacrifice for us because what these networks did was a lot of the cartoons, they began airing them on Sunday mornings as well. And I was like, ah. And so we had to sacrifice so much so we could go to church and miss out on all these superhero cartoon shows that we really wanted to watch. I say that because some of you guys who, who say, oh, I love Marvel, um, it's, because, it's because of the movies, right? But, but you're not real ones, okay, because like my brother and I, we were like there, and so um, when all the movies started to come out, man, I just remember, I remember Daniel and I, um, even, the, even like the bad ones, even ones that now are like, man, that was an awful movie. We'd be there at midnight, all right? Uh, we'd be there at the midnight premiere, Thursday night, when all the freaks and geeks were out with their costumes and everything. I'm not gonna admit to whether or not we wore costumes, I'll let you guys imagine that yourselves. Um, we were there every single time. When I was away at college, I would travel back home just to go to a midnight premiere with him or he'd come back to, up, up to, to campus with me, and so it was like our thing, right? Every time there was a new movie. Um, and uh, and it was exciting. You know, we would think, man, like it's it's like our childhood come to life. You know, we had all the action figures and, and we'd seen all the all the shows. And so it was like this to to live in a time when our heroes are on the big screen. Um, and now it's been what, like almost 15 years, right, since DMCU has has been launched. And I, I gotta be honest, you know, a, a new show is announced or a new movie is announced, and now I'm kind of like, oh. That's nice. Maybe I'll go see it. I, I'm not up at midnight anymore, I'll tell you that. That, that season of my life is long gone, okay? Um, but, uh, you know, maybe I'll go to, to you know, like a, the opening weekend if... But, but but most of the time now, I'm like, you know, maybe I'll just wait and catch that later. Maybe I'll just wait and catch it on the streaming or, or whatever, or maybe I won't catch it at all. Some of that has to do with, like, the quality has dipped a good bit recently. But... but a big part of that is also, man, uh, 20 years ago, if any of these shows had been announced, I would have been first in line. And now I'm like, well, it's fine, I'll catch it later. Something that was so exciting for me, that, that, that motivated me to be up well beyond when I should have been up, um, and to make fools of myself. Um, something that, was so, so, that, that, that drove me so hard, uh, I've become so accustomed to it. It's so, it has become such a part of our culture. Now everyone knows who these characters are. Everyone claims to be a fan, you know. Um, It's it's sort of lost a little bit of its luster for me, if I'm honest. Um, Sometimes when we are are exposed over and over again to the truth of Scripture, which we should be, it's good, we should be. But if we're not careful, um, if we don't guard our hearts, we can grow numb, to something that should be profoundly motivating in our lives, something that should, every time we, we read it or hear it or meditate on it, should, should move us to purpose and move us to make fools of ourselves and move us to do things that no one else is doing because we believe in it so strongly. And when we hear, oh, Jesus loves you over and over again, we're like, okay, that's great. I know, and I, I'm thankful for it. That's great. And then we just keep going about our lives. It's like, it's no big deal, Okay. Um, In Scripture, there are not very many times in the Old Testament where it says explicitly that God loved this person individually. You can look. They're there, but they're few and far between. There are not many times in Scripture where it makes a point to say, and God loved this person. And here... In 2 Samuel, it says, and God, like, like we, God knows we would assume that to be true without him pointing it out. We don't need that to be written to know that God loves a person, but God says, no, no, this is different. In fact, it's so different, I want his name to reflect it, that he is beloved. So Solomon starts out, as we all do, um, in, in a sense, you know, God loves all of us as well. But Scripture testifies about him that God, um, God loved him. Before, uh, before he became a great king, before he built God this beautiful, ornate temple, before he humbled himself and asked for wisdom, before any of those things, before he ever did a single thing to merit it, uh, God loved Solomon. And so um, why am I hitting that so hard? Why is that such a big deal? Again, because we have to understand that... Um, uh, Solomon had every opportunity he had every he had the most important advantage you could hope for, and we also have to remember that scripturally speaking um, we don 't love God first right um, if, if, if god like, so, so, so in his nature, God is love right love is part of he, He can't help it almost. (laughs) Love is in his nature, but love is also um, an act of grace. It is an an action for God. It is a choosing of showing grace. As much as it's in his nature, it's also an extension of his grace. And apart from that love, apart from God loving us first, we cannot hope to ever even think about loving him. Uh, Scripture says, In 1 John 4, 18 through 19, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Then in Romans 3, 10 through 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God, None of us seek after God in our own nature. If God did not extend that grace of love to us first, we would never seek him out on our own. It is not in the nature of man to submit to the self-sacrifice that love demands of us. Because we know that love demands sacrifice. It's not in our nature to submit to self-sacrifice. And so... um, Starting out with the love of God is the highest privilege we can ever be born with, and it's how Solomon starts. But again, as Paul says, it's not about how you start the race. It's about how you finish the race that matters. And so I want to go to the next thing that we read about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3. This is, you know, we've all heard or at least are aware or familiar with this story. This is where Solomon Ask God for wisdom. And so I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, God appears to Solomon in, in a dream, and he says, hey, I'm pleased with you, I love you. Um, ask whatever you want for me, and it's yours. You know, so when we had VBS and we had the kids in, in the room back there, you know, we asked them, if God appeared to you and said, whatever, you know, ask whatever you want, and it's yours. We got some interesting answers. Um, that's for another time. Uh, but Solomon says... Um, Lord, you've given me, you, you've made me king of all these people. You, you've given me this position of honor. I've inherited a great kingdom from my father, your servant David. Now I pray that you would give me understanding so that I can lead them well. Give me wisdom and discernment so that I would be a, a, a godly king like my father David before me. And that request honors God, and God says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you, you know, uh, uh, prestige and power and all these things. And it says in 1 Kings 3.3 3, that the heart of that request, it says, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in, his statue, walking in the statutes of his father David. And this is except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. And so what that tells us is um, the Lord had commanded worship in one place only, And so Solomon is there, you know, worshiping in these high places, saying, I I love the Lord. Um, He deserves more than this. I'm going to build him a temple. So that love for the Lord is what drives and motivates Solomon to begin working on this temple because he knows that that worshiping in high places is not God's command. It's not God's ideal. Um, So uh, this is important. It's such a quick verse. And here again, here again, um, find another place in the Old Testament where scripture says, and this person loved the Lord. I was looking, I couldn't find one. Now, we see in the Psalms where David says, I love the Lord. You know, there's, there's people who, who, who claim it for themselves, but where an objective author by the inspiration of the Spirit says this human, this person loved the Lord uh, those instances are few and far between. And it's not like the Greek. You know, we, 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 we've, we've heard sermons on, on love so much, like we're all familiar with like, different Greek words for love, right? You know, the agape, the phileo, the eros, all those things. Uh, this is Hebrew, right? Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There's only one word for love in the Hebrew. And so what that means is the same, uh, the same love that Scripture says God loves Solomon is the same word that is used here when it says, and Solomon loved the Lord. Okay, why is this important, okay? Because very often when, when we hear of someone or see someone or we know someone who falls away, who, whose heart is turned away from worshiping God, one of the things we say our, to ourselves to comfort ourselves is, oh, well, they, just were, they never really meant it. They never truly loved the Lord. Because if you truly loved the Lord, then you wouldn't do that. Um, and maybe sometimes that's true. But I think more often than not, we tell ourselves that to continue feeling safe about ourselves. And there's a reason why Paul warns be careful if you think you stand lest you fall. Because scripture points out, it makes a point to say Solomon loved the Lord with the same love, maybe not the same love, but the same word, you know, the same word that God loved Solomon. Um, and so we need to be careful. We can't just brush off the falling away of others as, well, they never really meant it. I'm fine because I mean it. I'm fine because I, I really do love the Lord. And, and, and we think that, that that love that we have is enough to carry us through, through a lifetime of commitment to Jesus. But we all know how fickle human love is. We all know that we can feel so intensely in love with something or someone through one season and then another season comes and that love fades. Human love fades, okay? So we cannot rely on our love for God to sustain our faith. It is God's love for us is the only thing that sustains our faith. Unfortunately for Solomon, as we'll see, all that wisdom, all that advantage was not enough um, to keep him following the Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is where we're gonna kind of break it down verse by verse. 1 Corinthians 11, one through 11, this is where the real tragedy of um, of Solomon is is recorded. Verse one, but King Solomon, and here's that same word. Again, there's only one Hebrew word for love. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And it's not that, you know, we could easily take that passage and misapply it. These were the nations, as we're gonna read, that God said, you should not love, you should not intermarry, you should not build connections with these nations because of the way they worship, because of the gods they worship. But it says that Solomon loved many of them. He loved the very the very type of person that God said you, you can't build connections with them because they will lead your heart astray. And uh, it's amazing to me how often we can be deceived into believing um, that we can have more than one true love in our lives. And this, this isn't a, a popular um, truth. It's not one that we always like to hear. Scripturally speaking, you can only have one true love. And he's not willing to share. Scripturally speaking, there is no, um, you know, I I love God, and then I have this one true love in my life, and I love them equally. According to the Bible, that's fertile ground for idolatry. Um, um, Believing that we can have more than one true love in our lives uh, it's one of the reasons why, why, god's, why God says in one of his first commandments, you know, I should have no other God before me. And, and we know this, uh, Pastor Victor has, done, has, has, has brought this up many times and done a great job explaining it, that, um, that God is not worried about priority. He's not saying I should be first in priority over all your other gods. God is more concerned about just the, the existence of other gods the presence of other gods in our lives. There should be no other gods in my presence. I'm not willing to share your love for me with, other, with anything else. I am to be your, your one true love. It's also the reason why Jesus said, we, we, looked, at this, we looked at this a little bit yesterday in our men's conference, why, um, why Jesus makes this very controversial, offensive statement that unless you hate your family, unless compared to how much you love me... That's, that's how much you devalue your family, um, then you're not ready to follow me. Jesus says, if, 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 if I'm going to share that preeminence, that place of, of, of preeminence in your hearts with anything or anyone else of being your one true love, then you're not ready to follow me. Um, and so the overwhelming message of the Bible is that there is nothing that fulfills our created intent, our created purpose, the very reason why God made us, other than loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds. And then Jesus does say that, yeah, the second greatest commandment is, is, is just like that. Do love. So we're not saying don't love people, right? And I, I shouldn't have to um, offer this disclaimer, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I don't want anyone saying, Pastor Johnson said don't love your wife. Okay, um, so here's the disclaimer, right? Um, obviously, we are to love our families. Um, that love, the love we have for our spouses, the love we have for our children, the love we have for our neighbors, um, is to flow out of is to flow out of a, it's a reflection of our love for Jesus first, not a competitor with it. I can love I, I am freed up and empowered to love my children so much more effectively because I love Jesus above all. And I am freed up and empowered, and, and, and trust me when I say this, um, it, it enabled to love my wife so much more sacrificially because I love Jesus, not just a close, it's not, it's not even close. I love him far and above more than anyone else. And that, that, uh, that frees me up and allows me to love others so much better. We, we have the same expectation um, for our, our spouses, you know, I've, done, I've had the, the privilege and the honor of officiating many weddings and there's always that part of, of the vow that we get to. And I don't care if you write your own vows, <laughs> uh, if I'm doing your wedding, we're, you're gonna say this part, okay? Because it's um, forsaking all others, right? Keeping myself only for you, forsaking all others, uh, till death do us part. It's a problem, right? If I come to my wife and say, I love you, and you are, you're, you're the love of my life. I have another love of my life that I'd like to welcome into our home. How do you feel about that? Eh, how long is that going to last? How well is that gonna go over? No, you like, uh, honey, I, I, I love you and, and you're everything to me and I'm gonna dedicate my life to loving you. There's also, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be a thing. You know, I, I, I really love, you know, basketball. And so I know I said that uh, it's, it's our anniversary. I know we're gonna do something special, but the season's about to start too. So I really gotta weigh it out. I gotta figure out, okay, which one do I love more? You know, you no, know, that doesn't work. Right, Because it's not a matter, this is, this is where we get ourselves into trouble, is, where, is when, when, when we think we've got to balance anything out. And it's not about balancing our dedication to God. It's not about balancing that with our dedication to our wives and our children and our jobs. It's not, like, if, you, if you're trying to balance it, you will fail. If you're trying to balance it, you will inevitably tip over and fall. It's about keeping it in priority. It's about keeping Jesus' preeminent there isn't even a close second. It's not even close. It's the same love and dedication we expect from our spouse on a human level, right? And so that is what we are created for. And for all his wisdom, for all his advantage, for all his opportunity, Solomon's great mistake was believing that he could love the Lord and love his, we're going to see, 700 wives um, he believed he could love the Lord and, and, and love his desires and that there would be room in his heart for both. And there's not. It's not true. It wasn't true for him. It's not true for us. So I seriously doubt that Solomon married all 700 of his wives at once. Right? It's not like he woke up one day and was like, you know what? There are 700 women out there with my name on it. None, you know. I'm gonna find them, you know. No, right, we don't believe that, that would be crazy. Uh, It's a gradual thing, he marries one. And probably initially for political reasons. It was expected if you were a king in this time that you would make alliances and treaties by marriage. So maybe that's how it started. Maybe it was like, well this is what the culture expects of me. This is part of my responsibility as king. It's, what, it's, 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 it's what's going to help people, actually, you know, if I do this, because then, then there will be peace, right? And that's how it starts. Wow, that's, she's kind of nice. I am king, and, and, and that, you know, she's pretty over there. Maybe, maybe one more won't hurt. I'll have two wives. You know, that's fine. Two, what's wrong with having two wives? You know, you guys see where this is going, right? Um, this is, this, now it's getting fun. Now it's like, man, I'm king. I can have all the beauty I want, and no one's stopping me. No one's confronting me. No one's saying, hey, Solomon, you shouldn't do that because God told our forefathers in the, in the desert that the kings should not multiply wives. Like God says word for word, when you have a king, he shall not multiply wives to himself. No one decides to confront Solomon with that truth. It continues and continues, and next thing you know, we're reading about him with 700 wives. And, and um, yeah, like sin does not become apparent idolatry right away. It builds gradually, one compromise at a time, one lack of of confrontation, one lack of accountability at a time. And then be careful if you think you stand, lest you fall. Verse 2, it says, um, From the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love and so he's not just, it's not just a flippant thing. It's not just like, like a harmless fascination on the side. It's not something he's just doing. Oh, I'm just doing this when, you know, just in my own free time. It's like a little hobby for me. No, scripture says he clung to them. Like, like, like these, like, so this is the, the, the progression of idolatry. It starts as something good, you know, something good that we, again, we allow the enemy to pervert it and corrupt it. And then it becomes more about us than about Jesus and then um, we become obsessed with it, uh, we, 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 we don't want to let go of it, we begin to argue with people when they show concern for us and, and justify it, and sooner or later, we, we cling to it. And the word, the Hebrew word for cling is the same word all the way back in Genesis when God uh, institutes the first marriage, and it says, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one. That same Hebrew word is a word used here for Solomon, clinging to his wife, uh, his 700 wives. Um, um, he can't let go of them. He doesn't want to let go of them, um, even, uh, even in the face of obvious idolatry. And, so, and it says, and he has 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. And in light of what we read about Solomon's birth, that should break our hearts. One of the only people in Scripture that Scripture says he loved the Lord. And a few chapters later, now his heart is turned completely away. And how does he get there? Again, it's not sin appearing to be sin right away. It's not idolatry announcing itself as such. It's a gradual abuse and misuse of the blessings and the freedoms that God's given us. Verse 5, for Solomon went after. Again, he doesn't just tolerate these idols. He doesn't just say, well, this is form." this is for my wives, I'm just going to let them do it, it's for them. Um, He's not just allowing it in his presence, it says, Solomon went after, he gets to the place where he's actually pursuing these idols himself. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Ashtoreth, Milcom, Chemosh, if you've done any... Uh, any, any like in-depth study of, of of Israelite history in Old Testament, these names are are abominable. These names are are despicable for all the, for, because these these aren't just they're not just gods. They're not just they're not just false gods. They're not just these wooden statues. These are demonic entities who demand for for their worship. They demand of their worshipers, um ritual prostitution and, and human trafficking. They demand child sacrifice. These are the same gods that Scripture says people were offering their children in sacrifice to. And, and here it says Solomon is, is chasing after them. Guys, I, I don't, I'm not trying to over-dramatize this, okay? But we have to, like, the, the length of Solomon's fall from his very name meaning beloved of God, and him loving God so much that, that you know, he, the same hands that built that beautiful ornate temple for the one true God are now fashioning similar places of worship for demons. The same lips that earlier had said in, in 1 Kings 8.23, Solomon, he, sa- he says this prayer. He says, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you. That's when he's dedicating, dedicating the temple. He says, Lord, there's no one like you. and He's, he's, he's like he's in the middle of that, of that spiritual high. He's worshiping. He says, there's no God like the like God of heaven. And then a few chapters later, here he goes worshiping the other gods. So, of course, God is as heartbroken as any of us would be. It says, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. The Bible makes it a point to point that out. You would think one time would be enough, right? If the Lord appeared to me one time, he like parts the clouds and says, here I am. I mean, that would, you would think that would carry you through for a lifetime. Solomon got it twice, you know. Um, and scripture references that second time it seems, like, it seems like God, it's almost like God knows, right? Uh, it seems like God saw it coming. God knew what was festering in the heart of Solomon. Um, because it says in verse 10, And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, that he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Um, and so if we turn to chapter 9 of 1 Kings, we see this, this second appearance. In chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, it says... So God has appeared again to Solomon. This is after Solomon dedicated the temple. God appears to him again, and he's, like, he's, 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 he's reestablishing covenant relationship and covenant promises, and in verse 6 comes this warning. He says, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And this is, you know, I don't know how long. The Bible doesn't tell us how long. We can imagine maybe years, we're not sure, how long between that warning from God and when Solomon began to just accumulate all these wives. Um, But again, God gives Solomon the opportunity. He says, Solomon, I see this in your heart. Solomon, I love you but I see what you don't see yet. And I see you going down a path. I'm giving you this opportunity now to shore up your defenses, uh, shore up your, your intimacy with me so that when these temptations come, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, no temptation has seized you except from what, except what is common to man, and God will provide a way out. God is faithful to provide a way out, and God is being faithful here, uh, preemptively providing a way out, and it doesn't get through Solomon's heart. We're not going to read the rest of um, of chapter chapter 11 that we're in. I'm going to paraphrase and summarize, because what makes the ending of Solomon's story all the more tragic, at least to me, it's not what we read in the rest of the chapter. It's what we don't read. Um, there are times in 1 Kings and 2 Kings where where God pronounces judgment on, on, on a king of Israel or a king of Judah, uh, and like he sends a prophet to them, and he says, because you've done this, because you've rebelled, then you know, I'm gonna take the kingdom from, from you, or you're gonna die or something. Um, and the king will repent, and because of their repentance, the Bible says that God sees it, and God relents. And God says, because you've humbled yourself, I will not do this thing in your lifetime. One of the most wicked kings in Israelite history was was King Ahab. I don't have to tell you guys stories of King Ahab. Okay, he was he was the worst. <laughs> um, God sends a prophet to King Ahab and says, because of your sin, you know, judgment's coming. This 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 is this is amazing. Um, the mercies of God in First Kings twenty one. I'm going to turn there. You would think if anyone does not get a second chance, it'd be a person like like Ahab. In 1 Kings 21, 27 through 29, it says, So it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So I'm going to spare Ahab one of the most vile people (laughs) to ever rule Israel, um, because he showed repentance, because he humbled himself. Another example, King Hezekiah was generally a good king, but he struggled with pride, and he had some mistakes later in life. And because of one of those mistakes, he got really sick. And so in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Uh, and because of that, it says, And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court. Like, like Isaiah hadn't left yet. He was still on his way out of the palace. But the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. God is long-suffering. God is merciful. God is so eager for our repentance. It it boggles. It's it's just, uh, um, he's he's ready to heal and to forgive at the moment of repentance. Repentance. And so what makes Solomon's story all the more tragic is that we don't see that. Now, we need to be careful that we don't assume things from what's not written in Scripture. That's kind of a dangerous trend, right? So you got to be careful with that. But it does make me wonder. If the Bible went out of its, goes out of its way to say, you know, King Ahab, this awful king, he repented and God um, forgave. And King Hezekiah, an okay king, he repented and God healed Why doesn't it say anything about Solomon? What it does say is that God uh, began to raise up adversaries for Solomon, um, people who would come against him, who would try his leadership. And instead of using those warnings and those opportunities to repent, to get his attention, Solomon buckles down and and continues in his ways. So um, let's go back to Paul. Let's go back to Paul. We're going to wrap up in a minute. A worship team can come up, by the way. Let's consider Paul again and what he writes in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to paraphrase them, so I'm not going to read it. Um, remember, uh, what, three weeks ago, I think it was, Paul's talking about meat sacrifice to idols, right? He's saying, it's not, it's this, there's, there's nothing, there's no power in that. You know, there's, no, there's no, you're not worshiping these demons by eating the meat. It's not a sin, Okay you are set free from those things because of Christ. But if you're in the presence of a weaker believer, the, your freedom does not, over, does not overwrite the law of love. And Paul says, if, if, it, if it's gonna cause a brother to stumble, what does he say? I will never eat meat again, right? And after that, Paul's talking about how, as an apostle, he has the right, he has the God-ordained privilege to expect compensation from the church, to be supported financially by the church. And what does Paul say? He says, no, you know what? If that's going to be a stumbling block, if that's going to cause people to, to make accusations or, or be a distraction from the gospel, I'll, I'll, I'll work a job, you know? I'll go out and make tents, okay, and, and not take advantage of that if it's a hindrance to the gospel. So Paul says, I'm willing to go without any of my rights, any of my freedoms, any of my privileges, even some of my blessings, I will sacrifice those for the cause of the gospel and for the cause of loving my brothers. And what does Solomon say? I have a right. I'm the king. This is my right. This is my responsibility, even. Maybe he can justify it any way he wants to. Um, this is a blessing from God. God. God's giving me this to enjoy. I don't want to insult God by not enjoying it, right? Um, Uh, Paul would do anything to not cause a single brother to stumble. Solomon leads a whole nation into idolatry and civil war and division. And so the question is, whose example will we follow today? Uh, Which of your rights and freedoms are you willing to lay down and sacrifice, even if they're good things, even if they're things you feel like you should have, and maybe some things that, that you feel like, well, God gave this to me, are you willing to sacrifice that, to give it back to God, to lay it at his feet, if it helps you more effectively live out the gospel of Jesus Christ? We cannot let our good, the, the good gifts of God, the blessings of God, become, um, become those idols. We can't let the enemy corrupt those into idols and strongholds for himself. So as we close, um, let this be your prayers. This is, this is my prayer for all of us. Um, that, uh, that, that our prayer would reflect the early prayer of, of Solomon before he, he gave in to these things. So, you know, one of Solomon's early prayers, as we said, was, Lord, give me discernment. Give me understanding so I can, I can be a good steward of your blessings, right? So I can be a good steward of the kingdom and the people. Um, he started well. Solomon started so well. Um, but again, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know where, or where most of us in this room have started. I don't know everyone's background, their family background, or their experiences, their history. Lord, you do. Um, and Lord, we're so grateful that the testimony of Scripture is that it doesn't matter how we start. Lord, that we can come from, from the worst places. We can come from, from, from the most disadvantaged state. We can start from the very last spot in, in line. And Lord, because of your grace, because of your long suffering, because of your love for us, Lord, it doesn't matter how we start. Um, so I pray that, I, Lord, truly, um, and as, as we go about our, our days, as we enjoy the blessings you've given us, as we seek to live out the gospel, Father, would you reveal to us those things that we are clinging to too tightly uh, the, the, the good things that have taken root in our hearts and have become corrupted, Father, would you reveal those, would you root them out um, and, uh, and lead us in, in, into dying to those, those things. Father, we, we lay it all at your feet, we sacrifice it. Father, we, we don't want anything to compete with you for our love and our affection and worship. Father, we ask this in Christ's name.